precious name. Amen. As you know by now, that the Lord's ministry began with his baptism at the River Jordan. And you remember that triune God, or the Trinity, however you want to call it, was revealed there at that baptism. For as the Lord Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came down in the likeness of a dove and lit upon him, which is a sign of his anointing. And the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then you know right after that, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness of Judea to be tempted of Satan for 40 days. 40 days. And it was at that time that I would like to share with you. I want you to keep this in mind. In Hebrews 11.3, it says that God framed the worlds of his power by his word. And that same word, that same word written down has that same power. And that's why Jesus said in his, after, uh, in his temptation those three times, and there were certainly more temptations than those three, but these are for our learning and to know to follow his example that we can have victory over the enemy just like he did. For three times he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He was victorious and so can we remembering the power of the word of God when we're faced with temptation. But before returning to the Father, in Matthew 28, 18, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And just as he spent 40 days at the beginning of his earthly ministry in spiritual combat with his adversaries, and as just mentioned, verse 3 of our text tells us again he spends 40 days, but this time with his own to prepare them and to strengthen them as they would be confronted by the same adversary after he leaves them. His frequent visitation with them during those 40 days was to erase any doubt, any doubt of his victory over death. And why the word infallible proofs? It is to impress upon his disciples and upon us that his victory over death was absolutely certain, which ensured that they too would have victory over death, ensures that we will have victory over death if we have come to faith and trust in him. In verse 2, it says that he given commandments. As their Lord, he had a right. He had a right to tell them that they would now be under his authority. He came not only to save, like he said in Luke 19, 10, I come to seek and to save the lost, but he came to rule over those that he saves. And I can prove that by John chapter, Romans chapter 10, 9. If thou wilt confess 
that Jesus is Lord. And believe in thine heart that God that raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And when we say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means he has a right to rule our lives. That means he has a right to govern our lives. It's not just accepting him, it's to come under his lordship and under his rule. Or we haven't come at all. I believe sadly, and by the way, by the way, he has that perfect right to rule over us as our creator, as our redeemer, and as our judge. I believe sadly that many in the church where the true gospel is preached have a dimmed view of the lordship of Jesus Christ. A dim view of his greatness, his majesty, his goodness, his power, his sovereignty, his omniscience. Everything is naked and open before him. And I have seen an increasing lack of reverence shown to him. And whenever that happens, and how do we show irreverence to him? Our attitude about worship. The time we prepare to come here, the time we come here, when we come here, and our attitude in worship, and the way we live and profess his name during the week. But I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. When we have a lack of reverence for him, the majesty on high, I'll tell you what it does. The importance of self increases. I'm going to repeat that. When we lose a sense of the reverence of the majesty of God, the importance of self increases, and don't forget it. In verse 3, he speaks about things pertaining to the kingdom. It's his kingdom. Mark 1, 15, it says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Matthew 4, 23, it says, He went everywhere in Galilee preaching the gospel. And then in Matthew 6, 33, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things you worry about shall be added unto you. We need to remember, we need to be reminded that there are only two kingdoms. The kingdoms of the prince of darkness and the kingdom of God's dear son. For the Lord Jesus said, or uh, through uh, his uh, servant to the church Colossae, he said, you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. His own are to proclaim his gospel, to live his gospel, to rescue those whom, he, whom the Father has chosen. Yes, before the foundation of the world, we are still in the kingdom, who are still in the kingdom of darkness. And listen to what? That is why the angels rejoice when a sinner is set free by the preaching of the gospel because those who have been set, chosen before the foundation of the world have come to Jesus Christ and have been set free and have come into the family of God for that's the reason why they were ordained before the beginning of creation. In those 40 days, the Lord was with his disciples and rest assured, he would have spoken to them about the adversary and his demonic host, which they were certainly acquainted with 
through the three and a half years that they were with the Lord in his earthly ministry. It was to prepare them for the opposition they would surely face and to assure them, to assure them that when they go out with the gospel, the Lord was with, would be with them. And I can prove it by uh, Mark 16, 20. They went everywhere preaching the gospel, the Lord working with them. And when we go out with the gospel, we don't go out alone. He goes out with us by his precious Holy Spirit. When the Lord said in verse 5, wait for the promise of the Father, it was to recall in their minds and hearts what he had taught them in the upper room discourse in chapter 14, 15, and 16 in the Gospel of John. He had told them that he was leaving them, but one like himself would be coming there to minister to them, the blessed Holy Spirit, to strengthen them, comfort them, and to enable them to preach the gospel. He made it clear to them that they would be engaged in spiritual battle that would have eternal ramification. There is much that the Lord talked with them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But there's one passage that I'd like to share with you in those four, chapter 14, 15, 16 that's been a special blessing to me personally. It's in uh, verse uh, 17 of John 14. It says, listen to what it says. He will take a mine and show it on to you. I like to put it in my own words. And I can tell you this with all joy, tenderness, and just thanksgiving. There's no something so precious when the Holy Spirit makes the Lord precious to your soul. There's nothing so precious as that. So precious. So precious. When his disciples asked him about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, as promised to King David in 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 17, he did not deny that that restoration would take place. But what he's saying to them, the kingdom of God is now of present importance. Now I would like to talk to you a little bit about the Lord's witness to the children of men. In all his creative work as creator, listen to these words from Colossians 1, 15 and 17, where he says, by and, and for by him were all things created that are in heaven and earth, things visible and things invisible, by thrones and by, I don't know what the next word is, but by thrones and, and principalities and by, yes, thrones and dominions, principalities and powers, all things were made by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The old man forgets sometimes, but forgive. Isaiah 45, 18. Listen to Isaiah 45, 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens and formed the earth and made it. He did not create it in vain. He formed it to be inhabited 
And that word formed means to mold and shape it like a potter. Do you realize what that's saying? Just think how a potter takes a vessel and molds it from the clay, molds it, and that's what he done to the earth. He molded and shaped it like a potter. That's why we have such magnificent beauty in this wonderful universe that he's created and certainly upon Mother Earth. And then Psalm 19, 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. And one time in one of my trips to India, it was about 4 o'clock in the morning. We were out in Kanajuri. We were leaving Kanajuri to go back to the plain in Chennai. And we left about, as I said, 4 o'clock in the morning. And, and it was about that time I looked out the window and I saw uh, the glory of the heavens like I never saw them before. It just seemed like the, heaven, the, starry, the starry skies were so close. It was magnificent. It was just magnificent. It was just, oh, I can still so vividly see the beauty of the heavens, the glory of the heavens. And I'll say this again. Someone called the earth a theater but most people walk through it blindfolded. Listen to the words of the apostle Paul as he spoke to the heathen Lystra, Acts 14, 17. After the Lord used him to heal that lame man, they wanted to do sacrifice to him. Listen to what he says. Although God allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, fulfilling our hearts with gladness. Did you ever consider the miracle of a raindrop that can fall over a thousand feet from the clouds and still, remember, and still remain its shape? And then to think in all its different forms and intensities, the gentle rain, the steady rain, the downpour, and the force of rain in a hurricane. Did you ever think about the intricate designs of a snowflake and each one has a different design? Or the four seasons of the year? Or in the way the Lord speaks in Psalm 29? The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The voice of the Lord thundereth. The voice of the Lord divided the flames, meaning lightness. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. That's an earthquake. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. That is a, a tornado. Let me repeat again. Earth has been called a glorious theater, but most of mankind walk through it blindfolded. Open your eyes. The creative work of God it's amazing, so wonderful, amazing. I want you to consider the miracle of the human body. With all the system, the circulatory system, the digestive system, the nervous system, the respiratory system, the reproductive system. And then consider it, it's like a factory with innumerable operations all working at the same time. Consider how all these operations work together to combat injury or sickness. And when we eat food, our Lord has provided, it is used as to nourish the body, to process blood. And what is not needed is discarded as refuse. And there is something else that's a miracle. 
And there are two here this morning. Those two little ones that God gave to Naveen and Esther. Last week, Andrew and his wife were here, but that precious little baby, that precious little baby boy, or Tom and Betsy, that precious little boy, Ian, they're miracles. Every birth is a miracle. We take it for granted, but that's a miracle of God. Now, I'd like to speak a little bit about the Lord's witness of himself and his humanity. He who created all things owned nothing. From the grotto in Bethlehem where Calabed down where he was born and then to live the first 30 years of his life in Nazareth whom Nathaniel said, can any good come out of um, Nazareth? There's only one reference to those years and that was in Luke 2.49 when the Lord uh, Jesus in his infancy and his 12 years old went down with Mary and Joseph to observe the Passover and when he got to Jerusalem, what did he do? He made a beeline for the office of the doctors of the law, the scribes of the law. He was with them three days, and you can just imagine the questions that he asked and the answers that he gave. He confounded them. And when Mary and Joseph caught up with him, and they began to reprimand him. He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? And those few words describe his whole time of ministry. He was about the father's business, and our business is to be about the king's business. Not about her own individual. Demands. If there's one thing that I have gotten to know as I've gotten older, the majesty and the wonder and the our precious Lord, our precious Lord. We need to get awakened to who we have as our Savior, as a Lord, who gives us life and breath every day, who's a, who has not only redeemed us from the curse of the law, but has made eternal glory our portion when we say goodbye down here and I wake up up there. He had no home of his own. Matthew 8, 20 says that somebody came running up to him and says, oh, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, oh, you really, you really want to follow me? Well, listen, the foxes have dens, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure you want to follow me? And then, and after spending the nights, and, and, and I can prove that, I can prove that. He spent many nights in the Mount of Olives, and after the um, Feast of the Tabernacles in um, in John 7, 53, it says, everybody went to his home, and the next verse says, and he went and spent the night in, in, in the Mount of Olives. He never did anything to provide for his own comfort and ease. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. And we are rich in him if we'll only open our minds and hearts and realize what Jesus Christ has done for us. The water glass of his life was completely empty of self. 
It was a witness to his people like you and I not to get caught up with temporal things, which the apostle Paul understood so well when he said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18, listen to what he said. Though the outer man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. And though our light affliction is but for a moment, yet it's working in us a far more eternal weight of glory while we look. Not of the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then my last message on Christ, uh, our contentment. You remember what he said in chapter 4, verse 11? I've learned that whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And when we're content in Jesus Christ, we are joyful, we're happy, we just want to do his work because we have a living hope in our living Savior. The Apostle Paul understood the meaning of Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Think of the witness he gave through all his miracles. I'm going to talk about his miracle, the miracle he gave as his creator. In Mark 4.39, you remember the winds were blowing, the rain, and the, the waters were, the boat was half full of water. He was asleep. They woke him up. He just said three words, just three words, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves became an immediate calm. And then in, in John 6 and verse 11, when uh, he had a multitude of faith, 5,000 men, not including women and children, five loaves and two fishes, he fed them all and then had 12 baskets left over. Those two verses indicate to prove he is our creator. Demons had no power over him. He had a, a, a sickness, deaf, dumb, blind, not even death, the man was dead four days, and he said, Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth. Nothing could resist his power and authority of his voice. In every way, he proves his humanity was without sin because he could say, the devil has no portion in me because there is not one sin in him. He taught and preached with divine authority. In Matthew 7, 29, after he preached the greatest sermon ever preached, the people said, no one speaks like he. He speaks with authority. And then the, the Sanhedrin sent in John um, 7, 46, the Sanhedrin sent officers to arrest him. And when they came back empty-handed, they said, where is he? Why didn't you get him? And they said, no man spoke like this man did. He spoke with authority. Oh, let him speak with authority in your heart when, he, when you read his word. What greater witness than this? It's summed up in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That which I also have received, I tell unto you how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried that he was raised again in three days according to the scripture. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something. I want you to think of all your evil deeds, all your evil thoughts, 
all your evil words. I want you to see them nailed to his cross. I want you to get a vision of that, that you put him there. And that's the reason Colossians 2.14 says, every ordinance, everything that was against us was nailed to his cross. Galatians 3.10 says this, everyone who breaks God's law is under God's curse. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us, for it is written in Deuteronomy 21, 20, 23, Cursed is every man that hangeth upon the tree. And when he saw him hanging upon that tree, made a curse for us, it was to redeem us from the curse of the law, that instead of a curse we might have blessing. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, for God the Father made him God, the Son who knew no sin to be made, the righteousness of God in him. Was, I'm sorry. God the Father made him who knew no sin, made him to be sin in his only begotten Son, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's his righteousness that opens heaven for us. His righteousness. That's what he did those 30 years and those three and a half years of men. He was, off, he was working. Of, of, he was earning a, a righteousness for us that we couldn't earn for ourselves. And then after three hours of infinite suffering, you remember he cried out, Eli, Eli, Allah, my sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There. And then he said, it is finished. Someone said the most wonderful words in all the English language, it is finished. And then the father would not allow his body to seek corruption, as it says in Psalm 1611. And as our text said, there were many infallible proofs of his victory over death, not only proving our sin debt was paid in full, but his resurrection life is now available to everyone who's not too proud to receive him. John 5, 24 says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if any man hear my voice and believeth on him that sent me, hath eternal life and is passed from condemnation and will not enter into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Why? Because that word believeth means to commit yourself, surrender yourself, and young people, older people, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, now is the time to do it. Today is the day of salvation. Every time I turn on the radio, or, yeah, listen to the news, some, speaking about somebody being killed, either by a mad driver or by a rifle bull or whatever. This today is the day of salvation. This is the day to stop playing games with the Lord of heaven and earth. This is the time to come to him in true, true repentance and faith. Excuse me. I wrote this down after I began to think upon what he did for us. I'm going to ask you this question. How can you not love him with all your heart 
and desire to be the witnesses he commands us to be, how can you not help but love him? How can you not help but give him your all? Not just half, not just a quarter, all. He's worthy of it. His final words to his own, verse 8, when he said, but ye shall receive power that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. His final words to his own. Revelation 1.5, he is the faithful witness. He is the prince and power of the kings of the earth who washed us from our sins in his own precious blood. He describes those who are his. As the Lord looks upon us this morning, we can say, I am his and he is mine. Then his command is for us too. Shelby speaks of an emphatic command and force behind it. In verse 4, there's the command not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Why? That is where the Holy Spirit will come upon them. But why Jerusalem? It was to show the Lord's sovereign authority over the power of Rome and over the ecclesiastic power of the Sanhedrin. It was in Jerusalem where he was so humiliated, where he was treated so vilely and shamefully, where he suffered so terribly at the hands of those he created. There in the midst of the power of Rome and in the midst of the religious hierarchy who orchestrated the events that led to his crucifixion, it would be here that he would begin to build the superstruction of a holy temple unto the Lord. The Lord himself being the chief cornerstone. Prophesying in Psalm 118, verse 22. As someone correctly said, <clears throat> it would be a cross in this world but eternal glory in the next. Maybe that's why he said in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, I will build my church and upon this rock and the gates of hell shall not depart against it. I'd like to share something with you. A man by the name of Pastor John and the reason I can get so exercised this morning, I see what people are willing to give for the gospel. And I can see what we're doing here in this country. Pastor John, and I'm not going to name the name of the country. He stood up to welcome his veterans to begin the worship service. And about 20 armed Al-Qaeda men came in with rifles. And they ordered them all to one side of the room. They're going to kill them one by one. So Pastor John went down to join with them. And before he went down, he got a vision he, from heaven. He heard the angels sing. He heard, saw heaven open up, and he began to tell his people, he said, God is calling us. God is calling us up. And what he said had such a powerful effect upon the Al-Qaeda, they didn't use kill anyone. They took according to what they, anything that was any... Um, um, something that they could benefit from, whatever they took, something that had some value. But when they went out, look at what they said. They warned them never to come back to this church. And you know, the next day, not only did they all come back, but 10 more. In this country, they wouldn't come back for a year. And this same Ben, this same John, the same Pastor John, Later, 
He was put in prison with 25 other prisoners in one cell. And uh, half of them were at Yahadis. And when he, he would keep reading his Bible and, uh, in front of them and wherever he had every opportunity. And by the way, be ready always to give an answer to those who, <clears throat> who would ask you uh, with meekness and fear. I can't encourage you enough to come on Wednesday night. What a wonderful, what a wonderful Bible study we had last Wednesday. It's really something that we need to be ready to, to, to defend what we believe. I just encourage you to come. It was really good. And so, but then he went on to say, he said, this is what he was called to do. He said, wherever I go, anytime, anywhere, I'm to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. And then he said this, Luke 12, 33 is what changed his heart. You remember when th- that passage, the upper room, uh, that passage on the Sermon of the Mount? But this is in Luke 12, 33. It says that don't lay up treasures on earth where moths can destroy, thieves can break in and steal. But lay up treasures on heaven where moths cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, and that changed his life. The Lord is telling them they were to pass on what they had seen, heard, and experienced. They had a heart conversion that brought about heart conviction about the person who gave them the command, the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as true today, when I was in the Philippines... When I was in, what time is it? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Can I have some more time? When I was in the Philippines, in the mountains, they, I went to a church where the, the pastor, when he, was in the, he was in the mountains until he was, when did he go to school? Until he was 12 years old. And when he um, got his education, he had such a love for his people that he just studied, 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 and then he became a pastor. And I, I want to share this with you. When he says, when we go to share the gospel to those on the mountain, we begin with God as creator. Then we, begin, then we come with God as the lawgiver. Then we come as God as Savior. That's a way to witness, to let people know why they need the Savior. Because there's a lawbreaker, because we've broken laws. Every, every sin is against God or creator. And make the gospel plain that every sin is against God. As a witness for Christ, the whole person is involved. In my lifetime, Billy Graham was the greatest witness that I have ever known. I'm not talking about the millions he preached to in crusades or in the uh, uh, hour of decision. But wherever he went, the high and the mighty, President, like presidents, kings and queens, those in Hollywood TV program, Johnny Carson, Politburo in Moscow, Communist Nations, the average Joe, the lowly, all heard him witness for Christ. Larry King live, he was on there several times, he said this. This was Larry King's testimony. He said the thing that, that he loved about Billy Graham, it was not him, it was his message. Always the message. Always the message of the gospel. Always be ready to give out the gospel, the good news. 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Praise his wonderful name. Oh, and now, but I, the reason I brought him up, he gave uh, 10 things about witnessing. I read that in an article some. First, the countenance reveals by our faces, it, it, it conveys so much who we are. Let me give an illustration. You remember we had um, men's fellowship uh, Saturday week ago? Well, I left early, and when I came out, uh, I, Arlington Drake goes into the uh, Bronx River Parkway. I didn't know whether right or left, and so uh, there was a man about 30 feet away, and I, I was uh, walking toward him. I said, uh, and when he saw I needed help, he came running down, and I asked him where I should go, left or right. Why am I bringing it up? I wish you could have saw his countenance. His countenance just exuded with care, concern, real sincerity. He wanted, really wanted to help. He kept repeating the same thing over and over again. By our countenance, we reveal so much what we think of the people we're witnessing to. Then our eyes, they can reflect coldness, tenderness, care, or empathy. And that's the reason when I'm out and I see people coming toward me, I, I pick up, I, I look at them right away. I want them to see, I want them to see my eyes. That I want them to see, and, and that way they can see what, who is coming toward them. Our eyes reflect so much. Our lips that speak the gospel message, it's a tone of the voice. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when, how did he speak to Zacchaeus? How did he speak to that awful sinful woman of, of uh, 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 Luke 7? It's the way we speak and share that people were going to listen to it or turn us off. How about our minds? How about our ears? Do we have our ears open to the people on the way? To, most of the world's on the way to hell. Do we, do, do, we really, uh, do we really hear, do we have our ears open to see how much they need Jesus? Then our lips speak the gospel message, the tone of the voice. I said that, but I'm saying it again. Then our minds, the way we think, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself in no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Dear ones, dear ones, our minds, what is controlling our minds? Our ears, do we have the world's, our feet, are we traveling the broad way or the narrow way? Our time, it's his. We belong to him. What don't you know? Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He purchased us. And, uh, Acts 20, 28 says, the, the Lord purchased the church with his own blood. Our money. Uh, Luke 14, 33 says, unless you're willing to forsake all that you have and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He purchased us. He owns what we have. And then our home, where is our most important witness? The question, the question, would Christ feel comfortable in your home Day in and day out. I'm going to ask that question. Would Christ feel comfortable in your home day in and day out? And then the witness for Christ might be under his command. 
when the Holy Spirit descended from heaven on the day of Pentecost, it was the evidence that Christ had ascended to the throne. That was the evidence that he was at the right hand of the Father because the Holy Spirit came down. And when he said, and, 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 and to Timothy, he gave a, a military command in 2 Timothy 2, 4. He said, if thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he said, then, he said, no man that warth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, but that he might be a good soldier to please his, the, the Lord Jesus. I'm sorry I'm taking so much time, but just give me a little bit more time. Just a little bit more time. I was in the Marines, and I learned about taking orders. And the generals in command of the military demand obedience from all soldiers, or they're going to come under uh, uh, court-martial. Can you picture any soldier under the command of uh, General Eisenhower or General MacArthur during the Second World War? Can you imagine any of them uh, refusing to obey a command of these two generals? Of course not. But too often professing Christians many times treat the captain of their salvation, the Lord of hosts, with indifference, impudence. Arrogant disobedience, like Achan of old. I want you to know how often we, with impudence, arrogance, we know that the Lord, Achan knew what the Lord said. We know what the Lord says, but we willfully disobey him. In other words, we treat a commanding general with a lot more reverence than we do the king of the universe and the creator of the universe. As said before, Jesus came not only to save but to rule. And the first prerequisite for a witness in Christ's army is obedience. The spiritual warfare that witnesses for Christ are engaged in is far deadlier than any military conflict. Hence the need for obedience to the head of the church who is the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord will not under the labor of a disobedient witness who attempts to pass on the holiness of the gospel message to those who are dead in trespass and sins if they are at war with him. Obedience is the evidence that we belong to the king and are soldiers of the cross like a life-giving message. Not only did Christ give a military command in verse 8, but also in Matthew 28, 19 says, Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What power and authority uh, our Lord is endowed with. And no wonder. No wonder he said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Three things will be required of an obedient witness, a selfless life as per Luke 9, 23. You want to belong to me? You want to come? Uh, you want to be my disciple? Then deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Then secondly, a servant spirit, John 12, 26 says this. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And wherever I am, there will be my servant also. And anyone serves me, him the Father will honor.
And then a surrendered will. Let's listen carefully to this. <laughs> Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father which is in heaven. <laughs> yes, we can, we can, we can, we can <coughs> preach Christ with our mouth, but we better know what it means to follow Christ. I want you to listen why we need to be a good soldier of the cross. Listen to what John Piper said. This is the culture we live in. There's conflict in the family between sin and righteousness. There's conflict in the school between truth and falsehood. <clears throat> There's deifying sports personalities and the pride that goes with it. There's beauty and ugliness in art. There's legislature and government conflict between justice and injustice with lack of integrity and corruption in every office. Six, love and hate in every ethnic group. Seven, sloth or diligence in the workplace. Eight, wrong or right doctrine in the church. And we have 37% of the pastors and only 12% youth pastors that believe in the biblical worldview. In other words, there's so few pastors today that acknowledge the sovereignty of God in ruling this universe and ruling his church. Always remember the captain of our salvation is Lord. He is king. He alone is savior. He is judge. And Philippians 2, 9, 11 says, this the day will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We will either bow the knee in grace or we'll bow the knee in judgment. Look at our text. Jerusalem is our home. Now, this applies to you quickly. This... Uh, what does it mean? First in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. One, we're to be a witness at our home where a walk and talk must be in harmony with the gospel. That's the number one witness. At home where a walk and talk is in harmony with the gospel. Two, Judea in the neighborhood where we, where's, where's our workplace, our market, our social activities. Samaria, no ethnic barrier or racial prejudice. We are to see people as our Lord sees them in need of salvation. As our Lord said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And then remember, Proverbs 25, 25. As cold water is to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Let us be faithful as we go out to make Christ known in this lost and dying world and reflect him as we speak to those dead in trespasses and sin. And when we pass on the gospel, we do not know whom the Lord will save, but we do know Psalm 125, 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy, and he that goeth for... <laughs> start again. They that sow in tears <coughs> shall reap in joy. <coughs> he that goeth forth and reapeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. Dear ones, I cannot tell you how this message affected my heart. I cannot tell you what the Lord has done to my own heart. Oh dear ones, I can't plead with you enough to get serious about being a man of God, a woman of God, a young person of God, 
I can't, it's later than you think. And I, I would like to, just any, any young people here, or anyone here that doesn't know, that does never surrender the life of the Lord, today's the day of salvation. Come to the Lord. Now I want to close with this. First Thessalonians 4, 14, 17, listen to this. For if we believe that Christ died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus shall God bring with him. And this I speak by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the, the Lord shall descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And in this, what a glorious future for those who have the life of Christ. What a glorious future. And I wanted to read, but for time's sake, it says, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up in the cloud. They saved him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in a way to peril. Uh, just think, he didn't need a spaceship and neither will we. Just think the fourth greatest day of world history was there when he ascended into heaven and it shows what lies ahead for us. That we will ascend just like he did. I say to you, what a glorious future for those who have the life of Christ. Let us love him. Let us witness for him. And let us look forward to being with him forever. Amen.